Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. Hello, I'm Joe Devine and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. Today I was joined by Alex Stewart. We decided to do an Arsene Wenger retrospective. Of course, over the weekend, Arsene Wenger announced his decision to retire from football management. After a uh, very long and extraordinarily successful career, the last two decades or so of which have of course been at Arsenal Football Club, so Alex and I decided to take a retrospective look at his time at Arsenal examine his tactical evolution, we identify three distinct periods, and we talk about his successes and some minor failures in each of those periods. So do stick around for that, but before we get to it, I wanted to take this opportunity to uh, talk to the people who watch our videos on YouTube. As some of you might know, if you watch other video creators on YouTube, there have been some changes to the uh, subscribe button in recent months, and we haven't really brought it up until now, uh, but... We've noticed in the last couple of months or so that a number of our videos aren't making it out to the people who've subscribed to the channel. So if you are one of those people and uh, you do want to be notified of when we post a video, which is pretty much every day other than the weekends at the moment, when you're watching a TIFO video, you'll see the subscribe button below. There'll be a little bell next to it. If you click on that bell, it gives you the option to choose to be notified sometimes when we upload videos, never or all the time. And obviously, I think you should choose all of the time. So if you get a moment and uh, you want to watch more of our videos um, or you want to be notified when we upload them, as I said, it's five days a week at the moment, um, please take the time to go and do that. It really helps out. And hopefully it will be uh, fulfilling for you also. Uh, anyway, that's enough of that for now. Uh, here's the jazz flute. Uh, so let's begin uh, before the Invincibles, uh, leading up to the, the Invincibles season. Uh, one of the things that, that is often said about Arsene Wenger Alex is that when he arrived, he inherited a defence that was uh, drilled by uh, the great George Graham and uh, was uh, one of the best defences in the league at the time. It, that, that, that's true, isn't it? Yes, definitely. That's you know that that set of of players is is one of the the best backlines that we've seen in the Premier League. So you had two of uh, Steve Bold, Tony Adams, or Martin Keown, and then the fullbacks were Lee Dixon and Nigel Winterburn, and they were obviously all playing in front of David Seaman, who um, was kind of in his pomp at that period. And it was, I suppose, in some regards, it, you, you'd kind of look at it as being quite a traditional back four, in that the fullbacks didn't push particularly high up, and. Um, there was a, I suppose, a slight balance. You know, Adams was. It was no nonsense. Well, yeah, I, I think he was. I think he was no nonsense to a degree. I think he was probably. He wasn't the most skillful passer of the ball, but I think positionally he was a very good defender. You know, these these were all defenders who could definitely go to ground and put in. You know, a, a strong sliding challenge if necessary. We're not talking about a Paolo Maldini here, but. 
there was an elegance to them, I think, that kind of belied that physicality. It wasn't always necessary to to kind of get thuggish and force people off the ball. You know, they they were they were very good. They were also very organised, and this is the thing that people you know come back to time and again with them is the the drilling of that back four, the repetitive actions to to push up one you know all of them raising their hands at the same time to claim an offside uh, that that level of organization and that level of communication required for that is just the result of repetitive drilling which i think is what george graham kind of instilled in them uh, of course steve bold is is arsenal's defensive coach now so there's kind of a, a legacy there as well but it was you know i think if you're coming into a new club having a foundational building block uh upon which well yes and uh, you know and obviously also one of one of Wenger's really great signings um Patrick Vieira the 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 transfer of Vieira was arranged before Wenger joined the club but but in the period in which it was known that he was going to join the club so it was his directive to to sign Vieira so he was there as well and I think if you're looking to build a team and of course, we you know we can't necessarily get into anybody's head at that period and and say that that Wenger had any kind of sense that that he was going to build this dynasty that would last for for you know twenty plus years. But anybody with any kind of eye to the future is is going to want to start to lock into place the foundations of a team that will last a good number of seasons. Um, and the two great dynasty builders of the Premier League era, Wenger and, and Alex Ferguson, did did the same thing you know they looked to have key players in key positions that would be able to continue at that club for four five plus years yeah yeah it's interesting you talk about Arsene Wenger's foresight there I was, I was reading uh, a few articles last night about him in preparation for this podcast and one of them mentioned something I don't think I knew before which was that the season prior to Arsenal's invincible season uh, Arsene Wenger publicly stated that he thought the club was going to go unbeaten that year and uh, obviously it didn't happen it happened the following year you know but uh, that's quite <laughs> that's that's quite a, a cocky thing to suggest albeit it came true uh, i wanted to stay on the theme of defence um, because as we said uh, when he arrived it was a sort of dream scenario there's a wonderful very well drilled defence already there and he basically didn't have to do anything with it however by the time we get to the invincibles era um, I think lots of people for- often forget that Arsene Wenger built his own defence for that. I think the only survivor uh, by that point was was Martin Keown. Um, and the other three players, and, I mean, he wasn't pl- playing regularly at the time either. The, the other regular four players, there was Lauren and Ashley Cole, who were both converted wingers. Uh, there was uh, Kola Torre, who was a converted central midfielder. And there was Sol Campbell, who, you know, even uh, was a teenager, had played up front. Uh, there was a real emphasis on on the speed and 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 ball control wasn't there yeah and and i think you know if you look at at signings that that wenger made being able to convince sol campbell to come from spurs on a free transfer is is one of the great kind of coups of modern football in england as as a signing um and campbell was you know, for all the opprobrium that attached itself to him at the time, some of which was obviously deeply unpleasant, um, and also with the um, 
you know, the, the subsequent issues that he's gone on to have in terms of some of the things he said that I don't think anybody would argue that Campbell's one of the best defenders that we've seen, you know, in the last sort of 20 or 30 years. And he had, he was a good passer of the ball. He was, Campbell was the kind of player who was capable of bringing it forwards out of defence if he needed to. He didn't tend to do it that much because Toure was even better at it, as he correctly said, converted defensive midfielder. And then, you know, playing alongside them, you had Lauren and, and, and Ashley Cole, who had both played everywhere up and down their respective sides. And and because of that, were able to control the ball, were able to run with the ball, were able to get forwards and cross it. And that, I think, was one of the innovations that he brought that 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 sense of saying well if we want to have players who are able to work the ball forwards out of defense carry it with them in order that the whole team can move forwards that we can compress the space that we can set ourselves up for for rapid counter-attacks particularly out wide then without any disrespect particularly to to Lee Dixon and Nigel Winterburn who were extremely capable fullbacks that additional pace and that additional ability to to spot an attacking opportunity, he wanted players that that were much more used to that style of football. And the easiest way for him to do that was, you know, not to try and find maybe the one or two players in world football who were capable of it at the time, but to get younger players and say, right, let let's make you into a fullback. And it's important to note that, you know, certainly the, in the fullbacks case, both were sceptical initially. Well, I think you probably would be. I mean, um, it's, you know, I think for a start, it's probably seen as a less glamorous possession. Um, mm-hmm. It's maybe seen in some regards as, as a less integral possession to... You know the, the the perception of a team's abilities is still usually how it goes forwards. I mean, you know, people people rarely talk about the the, the beauty of a defensive shape or you know how people push up. <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's very much how they go forwards and how they attack. And so, I think if you're, it's probably a testament to to what Wenger's been able to do for the majority of his career. Although I think this is something that has waned of late. Is to convince people to go along with what he's doing. And I think, you know, that was that was evident right from the get-go in terms of him coming to the club because obviously he had you know, he, he was coming from from Japan where people hadn't really heard of him. A lot of people in English football hadn't heard of him. He'd had, you know, previous stints with Monaco, but that, you know, it hadn't necessarily brought him to the attention of of a league that still kind of considered itself to be the the best league in the world at that point and probably with some justification um and you know he came in with these newfangled ideas about what you should be eating and the exercises you should be doing and all of this kind of stuff and and quite rapidly got players of the caliber of Tony Adams to go yeah okay cool let's let's give this guy a chance and yeah, again if yeah. you're if you're able to do that, then ultimately you, you can you can sit a young player like Ashley Cole down and say, look, I think the best way for you to bring success to this team, the endeavour that I have in mind, is for you to do this. And 
if you're able to convince players like that, you know, Ashley Cole is a fantastic left back. Um, you know, then then that's that's one of the ways that you can achieve success. And I think he he very cleverly realised that you needed that sort of ball control and that sort of ability everywhere across the pitch. Um, well, in in his own way, he 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 sounds a little bit to me, uh, and I am I am more more the layman here, but he sounds to me like Pep Guardiola sounds now. I mean, he if we we look at what he did with that with that defense after the the solid structure that he arrived with, the defense he built for the invincible season was focused on fast players. Uh, he realized the strikers were getting faster, and you know you needed to compensate for that by having fa- a faster defense. That that defense went un, unbeaten in the Premier League, which is something that you know had never happened. Or had only happened with Derby, right, in the eighteen hundreds. Uh, you know, so that that's quite an incredible achievement. And he's done that by converting players who are it was naturally playing in uh, in other. Oh yeah, it was it was Preston, yeah. <laughs> uh, na- naturally playing in 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 other positions uh, and converting them. I mean, that sounds an awful lot like what Pep Guardiola does now with his wing backs, with his full backs. I mean, is it is it is it fair to call Arsene Ven- Arsene Wenger an, an innovator in that way? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know these these guys, Lauren and, and Cole, um, they they had been full backs for. They've been playing at fullback in the two seasons previous, so it wasn't like this was. I don't think Lauren had had he. I mean, I know Ashley Cole had, yeah. but La- Lauren, I think when he arrived at the club, hadn't he been playing right wing? He was. He well, he played right midfield because they they were playing more of a four four two. But he def he definitely played right back in that in that two thousand and one two season as well. Right. Um, yeah. So it, what I'm saying is that it was. It was a gradual change, yes, yeah, and sure. and they. I mean, you know, the the two thousand and one. I think it's two thousand and one two team went unbeaten away from home. That's right. Um, yeah. So you know, it was still a pretty quick transition. I think in that in that season they also scored in every single league game as well, which I think was a record at the time. Ah, I didn't I didn't know that. That's impressive. It's overshadowed by the invincible season I read last night. Very interesting what you can read on the internet. <laughs> yes. Um, it's the internet's great, isn't it? Um, yeah, so you know, it it wasn't it wasn't an immediate change. I think um, I think there's a slight difference between this and what Guardiola has done. In so far as, I mean, yes, they are both innovators in their way, and interestingly, they're also they're innovators who are who are largely wedded to one style of playing. And the innovations are not, they're not philosophical innovations or even kind of systematic innovations. They're, they're innovations on a, on a player level, which is, I think, quite an interesting crossover between the two. Um, but Wenger's, Wenger's changes were sort of uh, more significant and over a longer period of time in terms of taking a player that was used to doing one thing and gradually instructing them on how to do something else. Whereas what Guardiola does is, I think he schools all of his players so well in his positional style that if required occasionally, then anyone could probably fit in anywhere else. It's, it's, it's I, I don't think it's quite the same. It's not like he sat Fabian Delft down at the beginning of the season and said, right, you are now going to be a left back and this is how you're going to play it. It's that Delft was part of that squad and 
and exposed to that system of football for a significantly long time and obviously also you know an intelligent and capable footballer that when it was required when Mendy got injured and and Delph had to step into that role just like Zinchenko did occasionally as well that he was able to adapt to it um, so I, I think I think what Wenger did was sort of a, a, a longer term plan based on what he felt his footballers should be able to do whereas what Guardiola does is to say all my footballers should be able to do this and therefore they can probably all play in all the different positions I mean you, would, you yeah. wouldn't play Sergio Aguero at centre back, but you Aguario. Aguario. Who's that? Uh, yeah, very funny. Um but you you could you could play Kevin De Bruyne in, in probably in the white right wing back role if you really wanted to. You could play mm. you know David Silva further back in the Fernandinho role. They that they would know what to do because they're so used to how that system works. Okay, so we can move on to the the next sort of significant era uh, of Arsenal Wenger at Arsenal, and I I would describe that as the Emirates era. Um, of course, they uh, they moved from Highbury to the to the fabled Emirates, um, and the club required stabilising financially, which um, meant that the team had to sell you know a number of their better players and weren't necessarily able to replace them like for like. Uh, so perhaps one of the biggest challenges of Arsenal Wenger's job began. At this point in time, keeping the team in the top four, um, keeping a level of consistency in the in the play style, uh, with less money than he was previously doing that, and over the course of three or four years, we can see significant names leaving the team. Ashley Cole left in two thousand six seven. In oh uh, seven oh eight, Thierry Henry and Antonio Reyes, Lasana Diara, Freddie Jumberg, uh, and these players were were frequently replaced by. Young hopefuls. Uh, it was around the same time, uh, well, a few years earlier, we saw Van Persie arrive. Uh, players like Andre Arshavin and Samir Nasri arrived. A- uh, Aaron Ramsey came. Uh, Mikel Silvestre, hey, not a young player, but uh, a player in the form of uh, the sort of quick fullbacks we were talking about before. But the, the, the real player that I want to focus on in this period of time uh, is Cesc Fabregas. A very young Cesc Fabregas, uh, who who arrived at Arsenal, I believe he was 19 years old, something like that. Um, and at the time, on the world stage, Spain were uh, setting football alight, weren't they, Alex? With their possession, <laughs> with their possession, their tiki taka, and uh, Arsene Wenger saw this, and we'll never know whether he thought, you know, perhaps that's something that we can do uh, with a with a smaller budget. Perhaps that's a sort of safer way of playing, or maybe he thought that was genuinely. Uh, the way to glory. Uh, either way, Cesc uh, Fabregas arrived. Oh, fuck, Zach, I can't talk. Cesc uh, Fabregas arrived. Why can't I say arrived after Cesc fa- Fabregas arrived? And Arsene Wenger began to build his team around this player. I believe it was at this point that they moved to a sort of five in midfield for the first time to accommodate him. Is is that correct, Alex? Yeah, they um <clears throat> they sort of I guess oscillated between something resembling a kind of four three three and a four five one. Um and I think the the purpose of this was very much to say that Fabregas was you know, he should concentrate on creativity, um, on on finding passes forwards to people like Arshavan, um and, you know, not worry too much about the the defensive side of stuff this is um 
you know, Alex Sung was was in, um, uh, De Nielsen, Mathieu Flamini, those kind of guys were providing the sort of the muscle um, either side of, of of Fabregas, who was there to kind of you know scheme and create. And I, I think the interesting thing about about uh, I don't tiki taka or you know that that style of controlling possession and and perhaps being a little more methodical and 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 waiting for the, the the gaps to appear and to try and create those overloads and then move suddenly at, at pace forwards was that it it wasn't too divorced from what Arsenal had been doing already um I mean Arsenal's invincibles team was was very much about pace and about it, it wasn't a counter-attacking team in the sense that it could only counter-attack. You know, it, it absolutely could control the game, but there was a way that they had of transitioning the ball very, very quickly forwards and then these sort of quick, intricate passing manoeuvres and all of a sudden you find yourself conceding a goal. Um, and I think what what Wenger saw with, with the, the sort of Spanish style of football was the same level of 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 speed of thought and movement in the final third that he actually already believed in and already had his players capable of doing um and it was more about being able to kind of control the build up to that and and for it not necessarily to require this this very quick counter-attacking out wide kind of movement that actually if you had a player of the quality of Fabregas who was able to sort of control the the movement of the ball forwards into that final third when it then sprang into life as a kind of you know a slightly older style Arsenal did then then that was perhaps like you say maybe a safer way of doing it that it, it that if your defense wasn't necessarily of, of the same quality as the defense that he had and you know in the kind of the Sol Campbell era or the era before that then actually keeping possession and and being more methodical afforded the the opposition fewer opportunities to attack themselves. And arguably, you know, regardless of what the system is, uh, you could make the argument that having a consistent uh, system and outlook and philosophy for that period of time is going to help players who perhaps weren't as technically proficient or at the top of their game as the Invincibles team were, obviously. You know, at least if, as you were describing Pep Guardiola before, is describing to every one of his players what the system is and how it works. I mean, if Arsene Wenger can say over the course of four or five seasons that this is how we play and this is what we do, that's going to be useful uh, when you're bringing new players in and when you're trying to deal with uh, big players leaving. Because I suppose one of his concerns was if the club doesn't have money to spend, which, you know, for four or five six maybe even seven years you could you could stretch to they weren't bringing in big name players they were they were losing big name players and they were replacing them with you know decent players and I suppose if you are aware that that's going to happen to your team you're going to lose all your best players you really need to design a system that doesn't require them in the same way right and presumably having a consistent philosophical outlook and playing a playing a a sort of style of football like possession-based football is a good way of uh, of ameliorating that. Yeah, I, that's that's certainly true. Um, there was an interesting um, uh, graph that was that was put out on Twitter yesterday, so that would be Sunday, listeners, um, about uh, Swansea um, and 
it was uh, I think the the the, the x axis was possession and and the y axis was passing accuracy. Um, and what it showed was that Swansea in I think 2012 13 or something that whenever the Brendan Rodgers period was were were playing very high possession and and very high pass completion and that gradually the the team over time as we get to the current season it it's changed its style altogether that that it's and and it's literally it's an incremental step between each season as they they've they've held possession less and made fewer passes accurately and that is essentially interesting i mean it's interesting if you're a swansea fan for various reasons but what it says is that 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 team has drastically changed its identity in five years which is not a long time and so if you're a player that was that was brought in in 2012-13 to 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 play that style of football then very possibly only two or three years later, two or three seasons later, you are outmoded. You're not suited to what they're now trying to do. And that obviously has a massive knock-on in terms of uh, transfers. It has a knock-on in terms of players who want to play that style of football, becoming frustrated and wanting to leave, etc., etc. So with Arsenal, trying to build a sense of continuity... And to say, you know, I think Wenger would have been able to say two things to his players. Firstly, you you know how I like to play football, and I like to play it in a in an attractive, engaging way. Uh, and the second thing is, I have a track record of taking players either who've played in one position and and adding to their abilities by getting them to play somewhere else, or I've taking taken young players and transform them into some of the best players in the world i.e Thierry Henry um if you join us in this project yes there's not a lot of money going around necessarily yes some of the squad is a little bit thin but you know what I'm able to deliver and and that may not be uh necessarily a, a Premier League trophy um but I will make you better and I will make you better within a system of football that people rightly admire. And and I think if you're trying to compensate for the fact that you can't chuck money away around in the same way, I mean, you know, I, I don't think they were ever necessarily massive spenders. You know, it's Sol Campbell, pretty, you know, it, on a free transfer. Yes, big wages, sure. But you know, Van Persie, Henri, the, none of these guys are like massive splashes of money, you know. No, but I think I think the, the think the issue is is in the in the context of a league where other teams are are spending a lot of money. I mean, they were competing directly with Manchester United for many of the in, Invincibles years, and Manchester United were obviously spending money. Um, and so I think I think it's less about the uh, the principles of the team, more about the context of the league. Yeah, and and I think you know that I think that brings us to a degree onto a, a, another point that's worth making, which is that when Wenger came in. Um, a lot of the things that he brought with him um, in terms of in terms of nutrition, in terms of scouting, in terms of an awareness of the the global game rather than just the game within the British Isles, um, all of that stuff was new or pretty new to the Premier League, and that gave him the jump to a degree on uh, on the other managers that were operating at that time. Now that that's that's not to say that it was. 
it was because he got his players to to eat broccoli that he won lots of stuff because clearly you know there's a lot more to it and there's you know his his tactical ability is is part of that but the stuff that put him ahead of the curve to start with gradually teams saw the efficacy of doing certain things in a way that Wenger had introduced them to and caught up and at that point you then kind of, I suppose, have to make a decision if you're if you're Arsenal and say, okay, well, the competitive advantage that we had because we were getting our players to do all of these different things that no one else was doing and we were scouting in a certain way and we were finding these players, that now there's competition for those guys and now other clubs have got scouting networks throughout France or throughout Africa or, you know, whatever, wherever it is and... Where do we look for the next competitive advantage? And and unfortunately, I think increasingly competitive advantage within the Premier League became about spending money. And it, that kind of period is when transfer fees really started to accelerate in those sort of five or six years. And, and that was somewhere where Arsenal couldn't necessarily compete or didn't want to compete I mean, they do have cash surpluses at the moment and have had for a little while. But, you know, I think there's a natural caution there. So if you're not going to compete... Well, actually, if you, if you, if you look at their incomings, this, this kind of brings us on to the, the third, the third and, and, and most up-to-date Wenger period, um, which I think I would, I would uh, categorise as the period after uh, the, the financial uh, conservatism. Because Arsenal have spent a fair amount of money. If, if you stretch back to, I think it's 2012, no, 2013 14 is the year. Um, it's the first year that they made a significant transfer since they moved to the Emirates. Then they brought in Meza Ozil for £42 million. Uh, the following year, they brought in Alexis Sanchez for £38 million. Uh, the following year, they brought in uh, Peter Cech. That's not lots of money. The year after that, they brought in Granite. Granite Jacker for forty million pounds, uh, Mustafi for thirty-six million, and uh, of course uh, this season, uh, Aubameyang for fifty-seven, Lacazette for forty-seven. Um, that's quite a lot of money to spend <coughs> in, in five years' time, and I think that is, you know, obviously it's in- increasing over that period. If you look at how Arsenal performed in the league uh, for the last five years as well, I think initially you can see that that paying off, and I think that's one of the things that. You know, would have given the the owners and, and Arsene Wenger hope is that so they finished second in 2015-16. I remember they played very well that season, and uh, Sanchez and Özil were combining brilliantly. And there was a thought, you know, that perhaps okay, he's the man's got money to spend again, um, and this is this is what he's capable of doing with it. And obviously, it sort of fell off a cliff last year, and and this, this maybe that, perhaps that's too strong a metaphor, but I mean, currently sixth likely to finish there they finished fifth last season you know um I think that experiment has failed but I can I can absolutely see why Arsene Wenger has you know even managed to weather those Emirates years with uh, with a real grace and I think there was definitely um there's definitely an opportunity for, for for him to come back hence finishing second in 2016 uh but the, the money's definitely there and they're, they're, they're definitely spending it I mean it's just for whatever reason, it hasn't worked. And one of the things that interested me about Arsene Wenger uh, over the last couple of days since he announced his retirement at the end of the season, he said that um, in recent years, a lack of unity in the fans uh, has been hurtful to the club. And I think it's difficult to imagine uh, for a second that he doesn't mean 
people being divisive over over his job and um oh i don't know what what do you think about that yeah he's um it's very difficult to to obviously to work out exactly what is meant by this but i i could i could certainly have sympathy with him feeling a a, a lack of gratitude because his longevity in that role is something to which particularly younger fans uh, generally in football are seriously unaccustomed to. Um, You know, there's been God knows how many managerial changes in the period that he's been in charge, but it's going to be hundreds and hundreds. Um, And it's, I I think that sense of, you know, we, 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 we spend money on players. If it doesn't work, we change the manager there's a kind of a sense of of things rolling on in the constant pursuit of immediate success, which is what most fans want for their club. And, and by that, I mean, if they don't get that success, they're prepared for that changing and for that throwing of money at players because they believe that that's how success will be achieved. And to me, there's absolutely no uh surprise that the the two greatest managers of the premier league era are the two managers that were given the longest periods of time at their club um in in ferguson and wenger and i think is that a sort of chicken and egg situation though? i mean are they arguably the greatest and therefore they were let they were allowed to stay i i, I think i think it's both i th- i think it's it's incredibly difficult to say which came first, but, you know, both of those managers had difficult periods at their clubs and... Both grew more conservative in their approach towards the end as well. That's also true. Um, both, I think, as they got older, they their transfer signings got worse as well, to a degree. Um, I, you know, I think I think there's always an argument that, that, that people people cling on too long and maybe you know you could be you could be seriously uncharitable and say that Wenger basically turned into a kind of a despot at Arsenal who wanted to control every aspect of the club lost his touch couldn't see that he'd lost his touch turned on the fans or indeed anybody who quite reasonably criticized him and wanted him to go and that that's utterly tarnished his legacy or you could say this was somebody who'd brought sustained success to the club and believed in his own ability with the evidence of preceding preceding years that he was able to to bring that back at some point and you know you that they had what it's three fa cups in the last five seasons qualified for the champions league in in four of those i think you know it's that's not a bad rate of return for most teams and and you can't know whether Wenger was was sort of sitting there last season or the season before thinking yeah I just I just need one more guy to be the 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 missing piece of this jigsaw or like it's pointless speculating about that stuff um but I I do think yes I think they got more I think he got more conservative I think he I think he started to make mistakes in signings I I think it's very hard to look at a, a player other than 
Sanchez really in the last sort of four or five years who's been an unqualified success. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think when. Koscielny. Yeah, Koscielny's the only other one that I would have said um, is in Kozula, that bracket. When he's not been injured. Well, Kozula has, yeah, but Kozula's not an unqualified success because he spent so much time injured. And I know that's not his fault, and I know it's probably not the yeah. club's fault, but you can't. You, you you can't work out how good or how important he could have been to Arsenal, except perhaps by inference because of what him not being there has then done to them. Um, yeah. So, yeah. you know, he could have been an unqualified success if he'd stayed um, fit. But, you know, it's, it's, you don't, you don't look at a lot of these people and people, go, people will be screaming at the, uh, <laughs> screaming at the train floor on their commute now going, no, uh, other players, other Arsenal players were great. I can't think of, uh, well, I, I, I think I, of know, there, there are, there are some good people that have been brought in, um, you know, I think two of the Spanish signings, um, Bayern and Monreal, have both been good. Um, but I don't think, I don't think there's been a transformative signing, and I think that's what is, again, interesting about. Uh, I mean, you you could actually you can also make the comparison with with um, Alex Ferguson that at certain points of of Wenger's career and Ferguson's career, there have been signings. And these don't necessarily have to be big money signings either, but they have been signings that have been transformative. And and for Ferguson, you could look at, at Cantona, you could look at uh, Roy Keane, arguably you could look at Rio Ferdinand. And these are people who, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, who have who have injected something into the team, who have elevated it. Van Persie, um, possibly the, the biggest example of that. Um, yes, uh, in the later stages, I should say. Right, and and I think for for Wenger, likewise, you know, when he came in, Vieira, um, I think Henri, Gilberto Silva, you know, there, there were players, and I think that's what the Meza Ozil deal was. I think he was looking for another of those after a kind of fallow period. Do you think Meza Ozil's let him down? Um, no, I, I think people are very harsh about Ozil, but I think... Um, yeah, he's he's a wonderful player at a certain style. I, I think what nece- what didn't necessarily happen was that the the team was constructed in such a way as as to maximise his abilities to to do what he was doing. That maybe if you know had had they more regularly played with a with a third central midfielder and and not kind of gone for the width, then Ozil would have had a bit more protection and that 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 sense of Ozil not really chipping in defensively and not really it, players like that they shouldn't have to do that really it's not you know okay Jose Mourinho can turn Wesley Snyder into a six but these these instances are rare and they're not by and large very successful so I think if you're I think what what Wenger did there with Ozil was was maybe to reach for a player who in in kind of absolute terms was an extraordinary player but in terms of the style and system and how Arsenal liked to play required too many tweaks to what they were otherwise seeking to do in order for it to work out quite so well um and that's why it didn't necessarily there's there's also going to be people screaming assist figures at this now, going, oh, but he's got more assists. It's like, well, yeah, okay, I'm still right. 
I think. Sure. Well, we'll find out. Uh, before we finish, uh, what I am going to ask you is, is uh, how, how Arsene Wenger will be remembered, which is a very difficult question to answer. So before you do, to give you some time to think about that, Alex, I'm going to read three Arsene Wenger quotes. How exciting. Um, I haven't been... Well, I, I have been very lazy uh, picking these. Uh, I thought I'd just uh, choose a few as a sort of cross-section of what uh, Arsene Wenger was like as a man and what we can remember him by. And they get a bit weirder as we go. <clears throat> Quote number one is... a. Uh, it's understandable, it's very acceptable. It's what we'd expect from Arsene Wenger. Arsene Wenger says young players need freedom of expression to develop as creative players. They should be encouraged to try skills without fear of failure. I think that's something that can apply to us all. Alex, the second quote is, I think in England you eat too much sugar and meat and not enough vegetables. <laughs> uh, I think that's probably very true, Arsene. And uh, well done for spotting that. And uh, I, no, I really do like him. And uh, the third and final quote, this is my favourite Arsene Wenger quote of all time. Uh, just just read it today for the first time. And uh, it goes like, please don't think I'm belittling his life or career. It goes like this. It goes, in a competitive world, not everybody can follow the pace. You will have to leave people out. We now accept that we must take care of these people. You cannot let them die in the streets. Yeah, well... No, but you can't. You just can't let people die. I mean, yeah. Yes, I, I I think that's sort of a truth universally acknowledged. My, my favorite and, unless thing about you're a Tory is uh, sure. Well, hmm, let's not make it political. People get upset with us when we do that, even though it's obvious. Uh, right. Uh, my favorite thing about that quote uh, is, you know, it's on one of those uh, quote sites where they have a little box. You know, the quote sites. Mm-hmm. You know those ones. Uh, at the bottom, they have like tags, little uh, hyperlinked tags for each for each quote. And that third and final one, the tags are die, streets, and everybody. <laughs> how is that possibly a tagging system? That's extremely how dark. Everybody. How could everybody be a tag? Why would you? That doesn't make any but sense. But also, who's, who's out there Googling everybody die in the streets? Well, and then weirder things of a Saturday evening. Anyway, okay. uh, it's now time for you to answer my question, a question that you've had some time to think about there, Alex. How should or would Arsene Wenger be remembered well i think i think the first thing to say is that the 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 phrasing of that question and indeed a lot of the coverage uh after he announced this resignation it was as if he died yeah and he hasn't died (laughs) he might might as well have died well he's retiring from a football club so it's not quite the same thing um i do you think he'll come out with a cracking book I would love him to come out with a cracking book. Yes, his, I think his. But book what I'd love is forgive is, my French. Shit all over Ferguson's book, don't you think? Less uh, gossipy, more philosophical. That would be well, a that, cliche. That's what I'd really like. Actually, I, I don't. I, I'd be less interested in necessarily a, a sort of a behind-the-scenes thing. I'd, I mean, there, there's for those who are interested and are still with us. By the way, Amy Lawrence's book on the Invincibles. Um, on that season, the 2003-04 season is awesomely good. So you should buy it if you haven't got it. Um, but no, I, I think I think he will be seen as as one of the the two transformative figures of the Premier League, um, along with Ferguson. I think that there's no way that that the Premier League would be at the stage it's at now, or would have got there as quickly were it not for him um and his his influence in terms of 
scouting, the use of statistics, uh, the, the conditioning, nutrition, all of that kind of stuff. But also, I think more importantly, opening the Premier League out to a, a group of players who, yeah, I mean, sure, there, there had been foreign players in the league prior to Wenger turning up, but, but having that knowledge and the appreciation of, of, of parts of the game outside of England and, and Scotland and um, bringing in younger players that people hadn't heard of, not just going for kind of you know, big name signings who'd performed at the World Cup, that kind of stuff. He he was one of the first people to really kind of dig into that and to make it core to what he was doing. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's he's extraordinarily important to to English football. Um, uh, well, um, thank you very much for joining us, Alex. We'll speak to you again next week. You will indeed. And uh, Arsene Wenger, au revoir. At American University, we don't just hope for change. We create it. We don't just dream of a better world. We make it a reality. With a graduate degree from AU, you'll access expert faculty and connections throughout D.C. to develop skills and experience to turn your passion into purpose. And that purpose can make all the difference in your career. Discover the difference a degree makes at American.edu slash gradschool.